Well hello, I'm Andrew Bennett and Stephen has asked me to speak today and start a new series as we look at the life of Joseph. Before I do that I want to think a little bit about change um, and how we cope with change. I wonder are you someone that that quickly embraces change, that you love it and that uh, you you can't wait to get into things that are changing around us, Uh, you, you, you embrace it or are you someone that maybe struggles with it? Um, there can be change that we choose, a change of job, a change of where we live, uh, even a change of relationship, change of house, moving city. And those can be, uh, they can be challenging, but they can be things that we've chosen uh, and that we like. And I guess change, uh, the way in which we embrace that or take that can be affected by our personality and our characters. It might even be affected about our experience as a family, as when we're growing up, how change was navigated as a family. But what about change that's imposed on us, when change happens to us, when we're told that we're unwell and that we need something done to us, when our job comes to an end, we're made redundant, when our place of living we have to move change can be hard when it's imposed on us Um, or a relationship comes to an end someone cuts us off those feelings can be very difficult Uh, I just think back to the beginning of lockdown I traveled down to Birmingham just the week before everything seemed to be changing it was disorientating it was a strange experience as I traveled on the train and there was people spraying the train when I arrived at my brother's it was like we were both in some level of shock the world around us was changing and yet we seemed to have little control and it's how you go through that how you deal with that and today's character we're going to see in Joseph had change happen to him very rapidly and he had to come to terms with it and much of the rest of the story of Joseph from today is about unpacking something of that let's get into a little bit of the story of of Joseph and um, and and thinking a little bit about his family Uh, Joseph was one of 12 sons of Jacob um, he had children by two wives. In those days, you could have more than one wife. And he actually had two concubines, which were like uh, mistresses uh, in, in sort of modern way of thinking. Um, and the mistress, the concubines, had a lower status than the wives. So, 11 brothers. Rachel, Joseph's mum, uh, only had two children. Joseph and Benjamin and they both came quite late on in Jacob's life so he doted on Joseph um, and Rachel was his favorite wife we're not saying this is a good model of family life in fact quite the reverse it caused all sorts of problems but that was the thing that he was born into on the other side on Jacob's side his grandpa was Isaac and uh, and then there was Esau and there was animosity between those two sons, uh, Jacob and Esau. So this family is a bit of a mess. And this is what we come into. Genesis chapter 37 verses 1 to 17. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. 
This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended his father's flocks. He worked for his half-brothers, the sons of his father's wives, Bilhah and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day Jacob had a special gift made for Joseph, a beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. So we pick the story up and Joseph is now 17 years old. Perhaps as we read this and as we, as we think about this, we need to get in touch with our 17-year-old self um, and think about that. We, we, we see someone who's, who's young, who's perhaps arrogant, certainly immature, and he's working for his other brothers, and particularly his half-brothers. So these were his brothers uh, uh, from the two concubines, the two mistresses and he tends to tell a bad report. Now it seems like there was plenty to tell and they weren't behaving well. Uh, but it doesn't help his relationship with his brothers. I'm one of, uh, of, of five boys, four brothers, and if you tell tales, that doesn't create family harmony. In fact, it creates quite the opposite. Not only is Joseph a, a bit of a telltale, although uh, that may have been just the way in which he responded to his dad, and he stayed at home with his dad and was looked after, but he also, his dad Jacob, gave him this special robe, and Joseph wore that, and it was a sign of the fact that he was the spoilt one, um, spoilt by his father. It was a favoritism that was shown, and it caused problems in the family. It marked him out as someone special. Now, much of this was Jacob's doing. He chose out Joseph for special treatment. He gave the coat and he probably encouraged him to tell tales of his brother. What we see, though, is this very dysfunctional family. This family that doesn't seem to be functioning well at all. And there's questionable parenting practices going on. But here's the thing. God was going to use this family powerfully. God takes that which is dysfunctional and uses it for his glory. And I think it's really important for us to notice that. Because your family of origin, your experience of upbringing, your experience of parenting may make you feel that you're discounted from being used by God. Not a bit of it. God is involved and takes that which we give. He works through even dysfunctional families. And the second thing I want you to notice, because some of what we see in, uh, in Joseph's life, is, uh, is, is a type of Christ. He's given this robe of many colours. And what, what, what do we look to the New Testament to see that is? It talks about a robe of righteousness. God giving us a robe of righteousness, covering all our wrongdoing. That's the picture that we have in the New Testament. And so I want you to hold that as well. God can use you whatever family you come from. And the second thing is he covers all our sin with his robe of righteousness. Joseph had a dream and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more than ever. Listen to this dream, he said. 
We were out in the field tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly my bundle stood up and your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. His brothers responded, So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they hated him all the more because of his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon Joseph had another dream and again he told his brothers about it. Listen, I have had another dream, he said. The sun, moon and eleven stars bowed bowed low before me. This time he told the dream to his father, as well as to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. In the next bit, we see that Joseph is a rough diamond. He's gifted by God, but he is immature. Joseph has dreams. God is speaking, and he's clearly gifted of God. They're powerful, God-given dreams. And they foretell a time where his brothers and his family are going to bow down to him. What it does, though, is just add fuel to the fire of his brother's hatred. The idea that they would bow down to him is the very opposite. There is older brothers. Why would they ever do that? Did he share them in the best way? Probably no. Should he have said all this in the way in which he said? Probably no. But his dad does ponder, holds on to and considers what has been said. We need to notice here, just being gifted doesn't make you mature and wise. Joseph had much to learn about growing in maturity and wisdom. He had a God-given gift, but he needed to grow. He was a rough diamond. But it's not always a function of age on how wise you are. I've met older people that have been immature and lack wisdom. And I've met young people who have had maturity and wisdom. We all need to grow in wisdom and maturity, don't we? It says in the New Testament, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favour with God and all people. And how do we grow in wisdom and maturity? Well, I just read this morning from 1 Corinthians 2, and it talks all about wisdom, God-given wisdom. And you know, the Spirit's function is to give us wisdom, that we might be wise. And how does the Spirit do that? Because he's all-knowing. He's God. He can give us wisdom. He reveals God's truth as we read the Bible. He inspires us and he illuminates. The Spirit can do all this. So if you're uh, wanting to grow in wisdom and maturity, ask the Spirit to do that and read God's word and let him shape you and form you. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they had been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I'm ready to go, Joseph replied. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back and bring me a report. So Jacob sent him on his way and Joseph travelled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived there, a man from the area noticed him wandering around the countryside. What are you looking for? he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they are pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told him. 
They have moved on from here, but I heard them say, Let's go on to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. And so Jacob then sent uh, Joseph on this journey to go and visit his brothers. It was uh, 65 miles away, probably five or six uh, days travelling. And Joseph went off. And it's one of those journeys where you wonder what was going through his mind. It wouldn't have been a quick journey. It would have been one that would have taken time. And as he walked, was he wondering how he was going to be received by his brothers? They'd already expressed that they hated him, that they were jealous of him. So how would they, how would they be when they arrived? Perhaps get in touch with your 17-year-old self or younger and think of times at school where people left you out or even you were not liked by others or bullied. Maybe there was fear, maybe there was concern, but certainly there was this long journey ahead. And in that journey, there would have been time to pray, to consider, to think about, well, how, how does these dreams come to be realised? How will that all happen? How will God make that all happen? Perhaps that was going through his mind. Perhaps as a 17-year-old who's also thinking about, where is my place in the world? Where do I fit? What is my part? And then perhaps there was also thought of some of the stories that his grandpa Isaac would have told him. The stories of the patriarchs, of the great journeys that they took, of journeys of following God, of finding places to worship, and finding new lands to come and live in. Did those come to mind? But there's that sense of travel, of journey, of space, and of being able to hear God. And so, and so through that, Joseph's the spiritual life would have been formed formation going on in that space. I wonder about us. When it comes to journeys for us, we want to do them quickly. We fly, we go by train, we drive fast, we go between A and B. We want to do things quickly. And when we're not doing things quickly, then we'll fill our minds and our ears full of music or looking at our phone digitally. One speaker I heard recently said, our level of creativity and ability to create things is being reduced because we spend so much time now when uh, time is just uh, on our side, then we'll just spend time looking at our phones. Creativity is reduced. But I wonder also whether or not time to hear God, to listen to God is reduced as well. Wonder in the open spaces, in the journeys, can we take time to hear from God, to see how he wants to shape us, to create us? I believe that was what was going on for Joseph. Although the Bible doesn't tell us what people are thinking on these journeys, I believe that's what's going on in so many of these journeys. Yet we almost despise journeys. Let's go to open and quiet spaces to receive from God. Joseph's brothers saw him coming, they recognised him in the distance. As he approached, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. We can tell our father, a wild animal has eaten him. Then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard of their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. 
Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him into this empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without our laying a hand on him. Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. Then they grabbed him and threw him into the cistern. Now the cistern was empty, there was no water in it. Then, just as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, What will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up the crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood, and his brothers agreed. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brother pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for twenty pieces of silver, and the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone, what will I do now? Then the brothers killed a young goat and dipped Joseph's robe in it. They sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we have found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognised it immediately. Yes, he said, it is my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son for a long time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go down to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders arrived in Egypt, where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. Often uh, nicknames, although grudgingly given, identify something that may be actually the very thing that someone is gifted at. They call him the dreamer. But the hatred has reached such proportion that they set upon wanting to kill him. That's their intention. This is his brothers, and yet that's the place they've got to. But the eldest brother, Reuben, tries to reason with them to not let them do that. That may be because of his own sin that he has committed by sleeping with one of his father's mistresses earlier. Or it may be that he's the eldest son and realises that if anything happens to Joseph, then he will be the one that will get in trouble. So he says to them, why don't we just throw him in the well? And so that's what they do. They throw him in the well and in a cistern with no water. The other brothers are considering that they want him to die of thirst and starvation in the well. Reuben is hoping to rescue him. And then they sit down for a meal. You see, when sin has got so deep, hatred so deep, that they can still, even the heart is so hardened that they just sit down to eat as though nothing. They have hardened even to Joseph's pleading in, in, in Genesis 42 verses, uh, uh, in Genesis 42, they said, um, it says this in verse 21, 
speaking among themselves they said clearly we're being punished because of what we did to Joseph long ago we saw his anguish when he pleaded for his life but we wouldn't listen that's why we're in trouble Joseph was pleading for his life and they sit down for a meal they are totally callous heart hearted they want to get rid of him and then when a band uh, of Ishmaelites come by they they see him and decide to sell him into slavery sold for 20 pieces of silver hardly anything in those days so God's anointed one is sold for nothing it's again a picture isn't it of Jesus sold uh, 30 pieces of silver that Judas to betray Jesus so the one who was gonna bring freedom was put into slavery and how was he going to cope in that situation put into slavery He's taken away, he's sold into an unfamiliar culture. And yet God is gonna work his purposes out of Joseph's life. I want us to go back and just think for a moment, the cries of anguish. Joseph cried out in anguish. It is okay to cry out in anguish. So often we kind of try and sugarcoat when things go wrong, when things are difficult it's fine we say or even think that somehow it's unspiritual to say something is difficult Jesus in Gethsemane didn't say to his disciples this is all fine he was in anguish when things are hard they are hard it's okay not to be okay and the psalmist show us that time and time again God sees our anguish and is in our anguish with us but we have a choice in our anguish do we become bitter or better? Let's say that again. Do we become bitter or better? Do we grow and do we cling on to God or do we become twisted and bitterness takes root? There's a, there's a silly saying that's in our culture, isn't it? That says, when life gives us lemons, make lemonade. But there's some truth in that. The idea that when life gives us really hard things what are we going to make of it because the other option is that we become sour or we become bitter Joseph does not do that and the story we will see more and more he doesn't do that and it's not stated here but we know God's presence goes with him everything changed for Joseph and he ends up going to Egypt his family is gone his status has gone as the special child of Jacob. He's lost everything familiar. He's gone to be in a different culture. He's lost all that was around him. Yet God goes with him. God goes with him into that place of slavery. And God is going to work his purposes out. And what about Jacob? Well, the one who is been called the deceiver in the past is deceived by his own sons who kill a goat and say is this your son his uh, uh, coat and he says yes and then goes into mourning so he has been uh, deceived again who's going to break the chain well we're going to see something remarkable happen through Joseph's life so when change happens, how do we respond? We're seeing this work and movement in Joseph's story. And we've come to this point where everything has changed, but God is still at work. God is with him, and God will do something amazing through him.
What about you? We've thought about where we've come from and that God uses despite where we've come from. We've thought about the fact that that when we uh, we need to grow in maturity and the spirit will grow us in maturity. We've thought about journeys and the way in which space, God can speak to us in space. And we've thought about the fact that as we come to a place of change, God is there in, in it with us. Even when we cry out in anguish, he meets us. I pray that you would know something of that today and that you would go with that. Let's just pray. Lord God, we thank you. We thank you for this amazing story and we thank you that you're an amazing God and that you have purposes that you want to work through each one of us. Lord, help us to learn uh, what it is you want to do. Help us to take time to s- and have space with you. Help us to know that sense of your clothing us in righteousness and may we live for you this day, growing in the sense of your Spirit's work in us. In your name. Amen.